sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm uh, Nate. I'm Aaron. Yeah. We only say that at the end. I'm confused. I feel like- <laughs> and we'll see you next week on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arg. Yeah. Well, it's good to see your smiling face and you're wincing a little bit. What happened this morning? Oh, it was yesterday morning. Was it? Yeah. Uh, we don't have to talk about that. Come on now. You didn't get you didn't get kicked in the mouth or anything, did no, you? No, I was punched in the chin, but uh, chose to not wear a mouthpiece thinking, eh, this morning it'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, traditionally... In my life, every time I've decided that, all right, it, so, it was wrong. So here, look, you. Uh, so yes, my my tongue happened to be in between my teeth ow, on both sides. Ow, when ow. that occurred. Yes. Okay. In this martial arts class that you are now attending, you're 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 actually really fighting with people uh, multiple times a week. Is this true? Yeah. This is this is I like it. This is becoming an ongoing conversation. We can have a segment of this podcast. But devoted. here you are you're pushing back against the ravages of time, trying to out. <laughs> huh? It's that's true. Okay, and uh, so it's been a long time. Uh, you had a big gap. Had a big gap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how's your body rebounding, and how's your mind rebounding? That is interesting. Because over the years, you know, you love to talk about us being embodied mm-hmm. spirits. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Or embodied yeah, souls? Which way do you go? Embodied spirits. Okay, spirits, yeah. right. Uh, embodied ghosts. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, yeah, I know that's true. But I was just so busy. And most of that was just the sedentary kind of work. Yeah, yeah, sure, there. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, taking that first step mm-hmm. back into being active i mean as far as the fighting thing that that gap was based on a couple deaths and a lack of desire because of that uh, yeah, with yeah friends but the active part alone it's just hard to make that real first step mm-hmm. and so i i knew i had to be around other people so that if i wasn't there i would have that guilt Okay. So, like, I was sick last week, and it was the first time in two and a half months that I didn't go, on average, four times a week. Mm-hmm. Some couple three three day week, couple five day weeks, and every time I felt like I needed to call and like let them know, like I'm, I'm I can't, I don't want to get you guys sick. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and that's good that I I feel responsible to a community, and I honestly knew I would not if it was just I'm going to start doing push ups at home. Yeah. Um, but then there's also that cost to that, which is why I didn't do it before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want to put the money into it. Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. I have the money. Um, but we have found the money. Mm-hmm. Amazing how you find the money for mm-hmm. the things that are important. So yeah, how's uh, my body doing? I think after about six weeks was the first little level up. You're waiting for the level ups. Sure, sure, you're sure. You're like, oh man, I've got got a little more wind i can do a little more of this mm-hmm. not going home sore yeah i've been far less injured in the last two and a half months than i thought i would have been mm-hmm. so yeah it's really good i can't wait till month like three to six 
Wow. That's, that's when it's going to be good. I'm seeing parallels here. I, you know, you're doing physical recovery, man. Uh, you're, you are, and it's requiring, or at least it's greatly aided by participation in the community. Mm-hmm. By, right? Regularity. Mm-hmm. You understand there's a cost to it and you're making the investment. Oh, I, uh, congratulations, dude. That's awesome. Also doing it with two of my kids has been really cool. Yeah. Because I get to watch them experience things for the first time that right. I experienced 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just makes it more fun. Mm-hmm. They want to talk about it more. They want to watch fights more. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elijah's in a class where he gets belts. And he just got promoted two belts up because the coach was like, you know, this is where you're at. Yeah, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. make you like start here. And I had forgotten how having some physical affirmation, mm-hmm. which, you know, people talk about chips in their sure. 12-step meetings, and that can become an idol unto itself. Mm-hmm. But it also, I don't think any of us stop being the 13-year-old kid that's like, right. I got to the next belt, baby. Yeah. And want to call the grandparents. And, you know, we, we need that kind of encouragement, which I think we can give each other that affirmation if we're mindful that, mm-hmm. hey, my brother needs to hear me say sometimes, dude, where you were at six months ago compared to now, it's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. You're doing yeah. you're doing great. So little. And yet it's so awkward for some of us. We'd rather just tease and be sarcastic. Ah, sarcasm. Mm-hmm. It's the enemy of affirmation, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, that's great. Uh, you know what? I certainly have not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not fighting the way you are. Ali and I are doing essentially glorified ballroom dancing with rattan sticks. But still, well, we've been doing it for four weeks, and that physical activity is great. And I'm also uh, paying attention to uh, my own body in a way that I wasn't two months ago. Yeah, but over the last few years, come on, the amount of walking you've done. Yeah. Like uh, health choices, yeah. You are you are not the Nate of fifteen years ago, where every meal was at a pub with <laughs> Allie eating fried food. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And I'm actually uh, giving serious consideration not to curtailing my visit to pubs by any stretch of the imagination, but by curtailing my uh, consumption of alcohol while there. Thinking more about that. How good is that for me in the long run? Not a question I even would have deigned to entertain uh, a few years ago. But suddenly, yeah, it's amazing with the passage of time, the awareness of our own mortality, hearing some footsteps behind you, you know. Well, there's a topic that we're going to talk about after two breaks from now, Uh which pertains to this. But let's get into the interview first. Okay, yeah. I was under the weather last week, so you did the interview on your own. But yeah, I got you to were, listen to it. You were down with the coronavirus. Glad to see that you've recovered. Yeah. And yeah, so I had uh, a, a, a marvelous conversation. And it brings up a few topics that we're going to engage in afterwards. But first, the interview between Nate and Vern here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Angels come sweet salvation. Hallelujah. Shouts get a thanks in power that strength and glory. Good 
Well, welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and uh, so happy to have uh, a fellow pastor. I, well, I've, I'm an ex-pastor. I was a pastor many, many years ago, but somebody who uh, knows the ropes, who actually has stayed in the ministry, uh, in the pastoral ministry, but who also knows some of the other places that my life has gone because he's been in similar places. Vern Tomke, Pastor Vern Tomke, uh, from Chilliwack, British Columbia. Up here, where, north where exactly of, is Chilliwack? We're about an hour and a half drive with good driving into Vancouver. So okay, right along the right along the border, number one highway, and uh, an hour and a half outside. Oh boy, that's a beautiful part of the country. I'm I'm looking forward to getting out there sometime. I think late twenty, early twenty one, with Promise Keepers. Get my first look at. I've heard wonderful things about how gorgeous it is in British Columbia. Yeah, I heard I heard Andy Gullahorn on your podcast talking about the song that he would he would use to get his wife up to British Columbia. That was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've been listening to the podcast for a while, Vern. Oh, absolutely. I am a bit of a podcast junkie. In fact, I credit it along with a couple other things, including Michael Leahy and Bravehearts and spending a lot of money and different things. <laughs> I've listened to a lot of podcasts with with helping me find kind of this traction in this last three years or something, whether it's you guys or Matt, porn free radio or pure desire. Yeah. Um, I got them all on my list and every morning <laughs> I'm just looking for the next one. Yeah. 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 Well, why don't we do this? Why don't you tell us a, a bit of your story? Sure. Uh, a little bit about your faith walk and a, a little bit about how you got tangled up with porn and where it went. Absolutely. Well, I'm a Canadian kid born on a, a farm up here in Canada, and uh, I'm the, the fourth of five kids that were born together. Later, there was a couple more, but um, I was, uh, my dad, no faith background. My mom became a Christian after they got married uh, through a radio Bible program, wow. and uh, it was kind of typical. You prove your worth by your work, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, a lot of cows, a lot of work, a lot of chores. But I was raised between uh, my older brother had um, he had a lot of emotional challenges. Um, you know, back in the day, would probably be considered you know ADD or ADHD. Um, just a lot of struggles took a lot of time. And my younger sister, when she was born, she was born with club feet, born crippled. Wow! Uh, so she spent the first couple of years in Shriners Hospital in Spokane. And so my parent, you know, they were just overwhelmed. So I was a bit of the forgotten child. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I didn't make a lot of fuss or muss. So I think they figured I was fine. And, mm -hmm. and like a lot of kids, you know, when I was introduced to, uh, to porn, probably, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 by the, my neighborhood yeah. buddies, you know, who did me that great service. <laughs> um, you know, I just, it was like an out of body experience. It became yeah. this, my solace, my comfort, my, it was like, oh my goodness. And, and it just, just started the whole journey whenever I was lonely, whenever I was looking for something, whenever I was feeling um, unwanted or whatever, I would yeah. go to my favorite, you know, stash of Pentos magazines and, you know, wherever my, wherever my stashes were. And, and that was, uh, that was really became a pattern that became more embedded. Where it began to cause me problems was uh, grade 11. I had a real significant spiritual encounter with God. I, I had always um, considered myself a Christian, but at a high school camp really got turned on to God. But then I had a problem because 
Um, well, mm-hmm. this whole porn thing, it seemed to cause me a lot of guilt. Yeah. And um, so I changed my habits. I would just buy magazines and do my thing and then throw them away. So I, I switched my patterns. I, I, I know I addicted more than a few sh- a share of post office workers in mailboxes. <laughs> so I'm going to have to apologize to that. Yeah. Because uh, once you put them in the post office box, you can't get them out again. Right. You yeah. Know, yeah. It's against the law, I think, you know, probably down there too. Right. So, uh, oh, so that, that's a very innovative way to dispose of porn. I never thought of that. You know, it's probably good. I, I um, <laughs> probably don't, don't do that. Don't do that. So, um, oh man. Yeah. I had a lot of creativity around hiding my behaviors, but, uh, yeah. you know, like a lot of people, uh, went into, went into university, um, and, uh, was involved heavily in, in student ministry, was involved mm-hmm. with an organization called Navigators and yeah. was looking at being on staff with them. And, um, and, and, st- you know, a, Probably about two thirds of the way through university, I had this second spiritual encounter where I felt this call of God on my life. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed yeah. you to go and bear fruit, lasting fruit. And it got embedded in my, my heart and my soul. And it was like, you know, that's what my life is for. But the only problem is I had this other competing call in my life, which was, of <laughs> course, the call, the siren call of porn. Yeah, and whenever I would be down, so I had these these two um, parallel tracks in my life, and you know, met this great gal at, at in student ministry, and and uh, had the courage to tell her I struggled with porn, and she came out of a you know non faith background. Her dad had porn magazines around, and so she you know she was actually unlike many women. She was like, well, don't all guys struggle with porn, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, this is good. I have a safe place and um, I'm going to be good. I just have to hold on till I get married. And like we all thought, and then yeah. I am going to, I'm going to be good to go. And uh, so I went into uh, teaching. Uh, she was a teacher. I went into thought I'll try teaching and became a high school teacher after university for, for three, four years. But this call, this, you know, of ministry on my life would not go away. It's like I was ruined for anything else. Yeah. And uh, finally um, started to take the steps towards becoming a pastor, you know, the educational things. And uh, I was invited on staff to come and help uh, a young church that was struggling with a lot of new converts. And uh, so that was, uh, so we got married at 25. At 30, I became a pastor. And then at 35, I did something even more foolish. Me and my wife moved to this town, that's 25 years ago, and we planted a church. And uh, again, that's a long story, but uh, don't recommend it for, for anybody or everybody unless you are like Jonah and just cannot do anything else. And uh, so we planted the church. I was uh, still teaching at the time. And so for the next, uh, from now, from 35 to 40, I was now planting a church. I was teaching almost full-time substitute teaching, and I was preparing sermons. We were raising a young family. And uh, when I hit 40, I hit what I would call my perfect storm. If you remember that video, the perfect Mm -hmm. storm with George Clooney, um, I hit around 40-ish, which was the symmetry, 25, 30, and 35, and now 40 a perfect storm. Um, first of all, I, I had completely burnt out. 
um, doing two full-time jobs, raising a family, teaching, writing sermons when I'm, you know, were, it was just crazy. Um, and so burnt out in terms of, and all the things that went with that, no energy, cried more, just felt like, you know what, I, I have hit a wall. Yeah. And that was the first storm. The second storm was um, a full-blown midlife crisis. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't share is my mom and dad split up when I was 16. My oh. dad had turned 40. And yeah. um, when I turned 40, interestingly enough, uh, a lot of stuff hit the fan. Um, you know, and so what happened? All of that midlife stuff, I, re- I felt like a professional failure. The church hadn't grown like I'd hoped it had gr- would grow. Um, I felt completely defeated. I felt like I was a failure. On top of the fact that I, I'd hit a midlife, you know, I hit a, a wall in terms of my energy. And I, I just... I just walked around crying and trying to maintain still pastoring. And so that was the second storm. And then the third storm, we're now in about 2005 here. I'm going to go with um, a little bit early, early 2000s. Uh, we hit high speed and uh, hit the high speed internet phase. And uh, so here I am burnt out in midlife crisis. And now I'm here working alone in an office uh, the only pastor in this church with a high-speed office, and all of a sudden, you know, along comes peer-to-peer yeah. downloading high-speed movies, and uh, that was my third storm. Now, throughout my pastoring, I had always occasionally struggled with porn, but when those storms converged and that new technology hit, I mean, I was I was lost, mm-hmm. and and it was just like uh, I. I'm done for. Yeah. I would go to the office and spend my whole day watching porn, which is, you know, you know, and then quickly prepare a sermon, you know, those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. You know, and and I remember some of of your stories in, in, uh, you know, in your book, yeah, the Christmas Eve story and everyone, I think any pastor would know that situation of walking into church, feeling like a fraud, having known just what you've just been a part of. Yeah. And yet still trying to, perform so to speak yeah. or still trying to do that i mean it's just it's just a, a, a spiritual nightmare and so i just like that's it i'm i'm done i'm gonna step out of ministry and um but a really weird thing happened i i never felt a release to do that and it was just like and my wife never felt that i should leave ministry which was really strange. She's got to be the most kindest, supportive person. But she she felt, you know what? Is there not another way? Mm. And uh, so um, we began to go, okay. I mean, this was early. Again, this is early 2000s. There's not a lot of resources. I began to drive into Vancouver, um, got involved with an organization called Living Waters and some of the work that uh, began to get counseling through them. They did some great work around sexual brokenness. So that was that was a start. Um, I started to go to uh, a 12-step meeting, a, a AA meeting every Thursday noon hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't, I didn't struggle with drinking, um, but I would go every Thursday you know, for like a year just because I loved learning about the 12 steps. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would, when it came around to my turn, they'd ask me, and go, oh, I'm Vern, I'm recovering sinner. I, I don't know what to say, right? And, yeah. and they kind of chuckle and, and move on, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but, uh, 
so it's slowly, I felt like this, this top, you know, if it was like a top, this, the spinning top had a severe wa- wobble. I, I begin to find a little bit of hope. Maybe I can um, see some changes in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a two years into that process, I t- decided to do something really stupid that I don't really recommend. I decided to start a group. So this is 15 years ago. I started a group called Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. Anyone who struggles with porn or anything, you know, sexual issues. And uh, I mean, I, I myself was still acting out every, two, could be two, three weeks. It could be every month. It would be, but I just felt, you know what? I'm further off than many of these guys, even though... I'm not where I want to be. Yeah. So for 10 years, again, I don't recommend this. I'm trying to help guys and um, I'm barely ahead of them. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's really hard. And, and again, I um, when and some of these guys go to your church and I'm mm-hmm. their pastor, then it's mm-hmm. really hard. Yeah. Honesty, you know, that's, that's an old point, but if you can't, if you're going to be honest there, then that's the ultimate test. Right. And you're listening to you Sunday morning. Right. But, but I did it mostly. I've always been a mostly honest guy. And I just felt like, you know what? I, I don't know what else to do. So for a dozen years, every Saturday morning for an hour and a quarter, we had this, we had this group, you know, five, six, seven, eight, eight guys. And uh, so, so I've kind of muddled through this, Nate, for probably the last 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe about three years ago, going on about three years ago, I kind of hit a wall again and I felt like, you know, I'm not helping these guys like I should be helping these guys. I, I was really frustrated. And I said to our group, I said, guys, I'm barely ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Michael A, he talks about the uh, base camps towards, you know, the Sherpa guide imagery. And uh, I, I says, I'm not a Sherpa guide. I've never been to the summit. I've never, <laughs> never managed to totally break free. Yeah. You know, I may be at base camp three and they're at base camp five or something. I yeah. Bruce go. And uh, he was like, um, and they were like, no, 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 you can't quit. You can't quit leading this group, but um, you know, find out whatever. And so that's when I, I, I kind of changed it up a bit. I, I uh, was, got connected with Michael Leahy and I started doing some group mentoring with brave hearts. Yeah. And, and, and for the first time, these guys were ahead of me. Mm-hmm. They had been sober for two, three, five years. And so for the first time I had some people who were actually ahead of me in recovery. And then of course, Michael was ahead of me as well. So I caught three things. Number one, finding people who are ahead of you. Yeah. You would call your Paul. Um, number two, spending some money. Mm-hmm. I swear, I'm a good pastor. Of course, if you're not, if, if you don't have any skin in the game, of course, you know, this is not a tithing talk. Yeah. yeah. Listeners. But if there's no skin in the game, there's you know nothing else in the game, so I had to get some skin in the game, start paying for help, mm-hmm. paying for growth, and then the third one was finding podcasts, and um, you know between this podcast, which I've so enjoyed, uh, Porn Free Radio, mm-hmm. Pure Desire, man, I'm I've got a podcast on every morning, and so as of probably three years ago, I would say I've managed to find I. T- t- finally turn a corner it came together in terms yeah. of um you know i call finding traction i uh in i found four wheel drive up here in canada winter driving i managed to, to get some winter tires on to get some chains on four wheel drive and and it's moving forward so but it's been hard fought and it's not been easy 
and it's been the battle of my life. So, anyways, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's probably way more, way more. No, that. Thank you, thank you for that level of uh, vulnerability and that level of detail. Um, now, what's your sense, Vern, when you hang with other pastors? First of all, are are you a part of any local ministerial association? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. all the time. Um, and then, of course, you hang out with other vineyard guys from time yeah. to time. What's your sense? I'm sure you've read the statistics uh, of, you know, how many of froze our- for a second. I just just froze for a second. Okay, I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, that's okay. What percentage would you guess of our brothers in the ministry are are fighting this battle? Well, kind of my story. It it partly depends on how well they're doing in the rest of their life. Yeah. If the rest of their life is going well, they have some maybe momentum to plow through some things. Yeah. But when they're hitting walls, um, I'm going to say between a third and a half. Yeah, of uh, the guys that I'm uh, involved with, I have yeah. some level of of sexual struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah, here here's here's the challenge. Well, let me, let me just say this: I actually, you know, if you know, I actually think pastors are uniquely susceptible to porn. Yes, um, uniquely. I mean, I've got four or five just quick things that that make us a unique target for this stuff, and. Uh, yeah, I'll say so. Uh, name those for me. Well, just just to go through. I mean, they're they're present. Number one, I would say that every. Well, let's just bring pastors up to the to the waterline of humanity. Mm-hmm. We are sexual people. I right. Only bad things happen, Nate, when we create a system where where you can't act on any sexuality. I mean, we have a whole movement in crisis where right. we have to live a celibate lifestyle. We'll we'll leave that alone. But only bad things happen when we, we have to pretend that we're not sexual. But here, here's just a few. Number one, I think pastors have unique internal dynamics. Now, I know there's the call, but I think pastors by nature want to please God. Yeah. And they also are uniquely susceptible to pleasing, trying to please other people. Yeah. And um, I, I just think there's that deep sense of a need for affirmation. Mm-hmm. And and that's just number one. I would just say is a unique emotional thing that I see going on with pastors. And uh, here here's the problem. There's I can't think other than being an NFL coach right now, um, where there is less. It's more tenuous in terms of getting those emotional needs met. Right. Everybody approaches you with a scorecard. Right. I've had so many people over the years, it's been 25 years, where they say, you know what? God's calling us somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, meeny, meeny, tuckle Parsons, you have been weighed in my balance and found <laughs> wanting. Yeah, yeah. Talk about an emotional difficulty that makes. Um, job-related realities. Um, part of the problem, Nate, is when I get somebody, I just had a conversation this week where somebody says, I'm really struggling with something in the church and I want to talk. My first thought is, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Going to be leaving. And, and I get to a point relationally, I develop friendships. We go along, we hit a wall, they leave. Mm-hmm. And I, after a while, begin to guard myself. Yeah. I begin to isolate from other people. Yeah. Because everyone's approaching me and eventually I feel all of those people are eventually going to leave us. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's the inner talk of a pastor in terms of that. So I isolate, protect myself from the hurts of relational fractures as part of that. And yeah. uh, man, that's brutal. You go, you're in ministry for any period of time. You've got a scorecard of people who've walked away from relationships with you. Um, institutional things, you know, this whole idea of shiny church. I mean, I don't yeah. care what banner you put up on your church. No perfect, you know, imperfect, you know, no perfect people or whatever it is. Everyone welcome. I tell you what, it's not true in the church. Mm-hmm. I- I'll give you one stat out of that Barna research thing, which is just sums the whole thing up for a pastor. 8% of pastors feel like if you struggle with porn, it means that you should leave the ministry. You know how many people in the churches believe that? Mm. Close to 50. Yeah. 43, 45% somewhere according to believe if a pastor is struggling with porn, they should leave the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a problem, Houston. How, mm. you know, so how many elders, for example, would be okay with 43% of the people in the church leaving? Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going, okay, we're back to shiny church. We're back to protect yourself, hide. Don't tell anybody, right? And um, so you've you've got that. You've got um, just the area of practical stuff. We're white collar. We have control over our time. We do a lot of office work, computer work. Um, Some churches are, you know, they heard the old too big to fail. Some churches become too big for the pastor to be confronted. Right, yeah. Uh, It goes on and on. I, I haven't even got into, you know, this whole thing of any spiritual dynamics at play, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, scout, you know, strike the shepherd, scatter the sheep kind of stuff. So it feels like we're a walking target. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's brutal. It's uh, having been a pastor. I mean, my first thought is I gotta, I'm going to quit. I'm yeah. just going to quit. But I, I always felt God say, you know what? You're in a unique position, Vern, where you can walk this out and provide a bit of a model and hope for other pastors so they can become a grace-filled example for people because i don't want to be in a church where everyone's playing a game right you know and i know some pastors i i had a pastor you know tell me the last couple weeks um he's he was suspended and um what happened is a couple he was he was not careful he said to some people over the last year there's been a couple times i've viewed something inappropriate online Mm-hmm. Well, you know how you have a resume that's supposed to show all your good things. It yeah. became part of the the scorecard, and when there was one or two other things, that became uh, the final straw as to why he was suspended. Yeah, uh, I got two pastor friends right now. One of them is in prison in California for soliciting underage um, minor, mm-hmm. and another pastor is in the middle of a court case right now on uh, viewing child porn in the church office and. Uh, I mean, that's, that's quite far down the continuum, but it all comes back to fear, shame, secrecy. And, uh, we gotta, we gotta change the script on this thing. Otherwise, um, we're just going to continue to hear stories of pastors who are, who are, you know, hitting walls. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, 15 years ago, when you first started, uh, going for help 15, 20 years ago, Vern, uh, you were making the drive into Vancouver. Was yep. it just because that's where the help was, or were you looking also f- for some geographical distance from your church? Well, I think it was mostly where the help was. Mm-hmm. I, I, 
I just knew that, that when you're ready to walk away from everything that, um, you will get help wherever you can. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was just a fellow that I, I knew had a lot of experience around sexual brokenness. I mean, that's of course, before online groups, before any of yeah. the modern things that are now, yeah. um, you know, I, I've always been by nature, I don't know what Enneagram number that would make me, but, uh, fairly transparent in terms of what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, because my wife is open to me sharing my story. Yeah. Uh, that gave me some freedom because I planted the church. Yeah. Everybody who's here came after me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. if they don't, if, you know, if they don't like me, eventually they leave the church and it's right. for only one reason. Um, I'm, I'm just, you know, as part of that. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really interested. I just ordered um, uh, Nick Stumbo's book called safe yeah. on creating graceful churches. It's, it's uh, just uh just coming in. So I will, I heard him on your podcast a little while ago. I'm really looking forward to reading his book uh, about uh, cultures and churches, but uh, uh, I don't know. It's uh, there's a lot of pastors in our community that just, they cannot say a word. Yeah. Yeah. We certainly have noticed a trend in our online meetings, uh, mm. a very high percentage of pastors, uh, missionaries and church workers coming in to join the online groups. Uh, Dr. Tom Mocha, who's the president of Samson House, told me the other day he had four guys in uh, in a meeting. Uh, four guys showed up for one of the newcomer meetings, early morning newcomer meeting, and all four were pastors. Interesting. So, uh, and I find it's a rare newcomer meeting where I don't have somebody in ministry who's coming. I'm so grateful that at least there, you know, guys have got a place. Now, uh, you you did online mentoring with Michael Leahy at Brave Hearts. Were you part of a cohort where you did I was. stuff using I was, Zoom? Yeah, using Zoom, loved it, got to know the guys. And um, every, you know, every week we, we got together and um, um, as part of that. So that's a great format. I, I actually started, I, I, um, very uh, provocative title. Um, I actually started a podcast. I've done my first 15 episodes called Pastors on Porn. Okay. So, nice. So under under Apple, or you can find it on our website bandabrothers.care. Yeah. Under Apple, there's a, a podcast called uh, Band. Uh, sorry, Pastors on Porn. Nice. And um, 15 episodes of some of the unique struggles of being in this. Oh man, we just hit a freeze. Brutal. There you to, go. To walk that through, and so. Uh, um, I, I guess it's just something where we go, you know, we have to, we have to talk about it. Yeah. And the fact that people are coming to Samson, they're looking for some places where they go. I don't think everyone understands. So here's the thing. You've got to be as a pastor, you've got to be shiny. Yeah. You've got to be, I I'm convinced that many people go to churches now. Okay. This may sound like I'm ready. I should retire yesterday. I'm convinced that many people go to churches because they want church to make them feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they want to go to the most successful church possible because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like me when the, the last time my team, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, it was 95. <laughs> but, but when they won, I won. Yeah. So right. I was yeah. on the field. I've got Troy Aikman's ring. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 When yeah. the Cowboys won, I won. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. Those suffering Chiefs fans feel that way today. <laughs> but if I go to a successful church, then I'm successful. I'm yeah. shiny. If the pastor's that, 
then I'm that. Yeah. You know, every wife's looking at the pastor going, oh, if only my husband could be that shiny example. Yeah, right. And so a husband gets, yeah. uh, a pastor gets up and go, man, I'm struggling with, you know, I've been struggling with porn. And yeah. and uh, as part of that, which I have shared Sunday morning, by the way. Awesome. You know, in terms of that, it, it you know, all of a sudden people go, well, I've, I don't want to be at a church where people are, are failing, you know, and people are struggling and, and what's that about? Right. Yeah. I, I want a church that makes me feel better that lifts me up from all my problems. And, you, you know, and then as pastors, we've got to play this game. And I'm, I just got tired of playing the game after a while. And, uh, and, and there's been people over the years that have used it against me. I've had people in meetings say, well, the reason we disagree is because you struggle with porn. Yeah. Well, no, we just disagree about something else, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. uh, tell me if this is true for you. I know it's true for me. Uh, my preaching definitely changed for the better when I got into recovery. Oh, dude. oh man. It's like, uh, the Bible became a new book. Yeah. Uh, I was reintroduced to a God I barely recognized. Um, Oh, the gospel really came alive for me. Although, I mean, I was uh, I was out of the ministry by then, so I'm I was teaching in a volunteer capacity at the church, mm -hmm. but found that the audience quickly grew. Um, and but still, I was careful. I didn't I didn't name my addiction, mm -hmm. and I actually didn't use much addiction language. But I found that approaching the gospel through that lens, just, uh, and so, you know, I, I, maybe it's because I had, by this time, with the help of some brothers, shut down that secret second life. Right. And I was just living one life. Perhaps that's where some of the power was coming from. Also, fresh insight. Right. And I think as well, um, you know, that gradual character change that takes place, you know, that progressive sanctification that really starts to take root and pick up some speed when we get intentional. I just lost. I just lost you for a second, Michael. Sorry. Your 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 audio just clicked off here. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Well, you you know, I here here's where I guess I've come to after a while. Um, I am getting to a point in in my ministry where if I walked into a church and I didn't hear something that showed me that that pastor had a limp yeah had a life defining struggle yes um you know wimber used to use that language uh, leaders with a limp yeah. probably probably from henry now and i i think originally but um you know if i'm looking for something like that which shows me that that person has experienced the grace of god Otherwise, they always come across exhorting. 
there's always there's always a major on exhortation and mm-hmm. and, a, and a minor on compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I get together with guys. I'm sure you do this as well with guys in the church, and I am trying to ask them, what is it that gets you? What is it when you wake up in the morning that makes you ask the question, God, oh God, oh God, if I don't have you today uh, in my life, I'm toast. Like, what is it that that brings you to that point of deep need? And the guys that scare me are the guys that go, I don't know, what are you talking about? I'm good. You know, but when guys have been through recovery, they know what that is. You know, um, so... I guess that's what I'm looking for in a pastor, somebody who's wrestled with life, whether or not they, they've had a problem marriage, they've had a problem child, they've struggled with a life-defining addiction, they've struggled with a mental illness. Um, all of a sudden, I'm going, dude, you get it, right? So anyway, so th- those are some things. I agree totally, and it changes your view in the gospel. It changes what I'm looking for in a leader as well. So. Michael, uh, sorry, Nate, I've lost your voice again. There we go. There it is. Can you hear me now? Yeah, sure can. All right. Does that, does that, does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's my experience as well. And especially, uh, our millennials and the younger, uh, generations that are coming along, they're looking for authenticity. They're looking for vulnerability and, uh, otherwise they're just not going to waste their time on coming to church. Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations on the podcast, Pastors on Porn. Uh, I hope you'll invite me on. Absolutely. Okay, good. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. And, and, uh, uh, and, and meanwhile, I will let you know when uh, my travels are going to take me up to the Northwest because I'd love to sit down, just have a cup of coffee with you and meet that amazing wife of yours. Maybe, Absolutely. Uh, she Sally is a, comes she along is a rock star. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, it's been a joy talking with you, Vern. Thank you. Uh, I am sure that a, a large percentage of our listenership is going to resonate uh, mm. to what you've shared. Uh, so, listeners, if the things that Vern has, uh, you know, if his story and uh, where he is right now, what he's learned, uh, if that has sparked uh, insight, question uh any kind of a comment in your mind i'd love for you to uh, send us an email and i will forward those by the way to Vern, so he gets that feedback uh send us an email at pirate monk podcast at gmail.com and let's keep the conversation going Vern, thank you thank you brother great to have you and god bless you guys and uh all of you people in ministry you know keep going forward keep going forward (laughs) God's grace is a gift, and even your weakness can be a gift to your church if you let God turn it into into good. Boy, there it is. There it is. There's the heart of the message. All right. Stick with us, listeners. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. came out of the woods by choice 
shelter also gave the shade But in the dark I have no name So leave that click in my hand And I will remember the words that you said Cloud in mind and a heavy heart But I was sure we could see a new start So when your hopes on fire But you know your desire Don't hold the glass over the flame Don't let your heart grow podcast so that's that's always fun i I like i wished i had been there after i heard the interview yeah you you did a great job but uh it would have been fun to actually see the face of this fella yeah uh great guy and man his story i i heard so many echoes of my own experience Mm. in the pastoral ministry how about you because you spent many years as a pastor you're you're a civilian right now but yeah, you, yeah. Don't, you don't lose your 22 and a half year chip, though. Come on. <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, just having spent a chunk of that time where I was pretty passionate about hanging out with other pastors and mm-hmm. kind of walking through their journeys. Yeah, heard a lot. 
uh, appreciated him talking about some of the unique challenges. Yeah. Um, uh, he talked about flipping the script mm-hmm. and that is a hard, hard thing to do because it's so enculturated both for pastors and lay people. And that, that was one of the, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I love where you're going with this. The thought that, um, the pastor's reading a script mm-hmm. and the congregation is also reading a script. Yes. And it's, it's in all of these areas. And I, I think for those that are listening who are like, well, what's the point of me knowing all this about pastors? I'm not a pastor. Well, if you're in a church or if you're going to be in a church, then you're both a part of the problem and solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He outlined a lot of the difficulties for pastors, right. you know, especially when he talked about the identity part and the affirmation part, sure. um, which, which is true for a lot of pastors. Um, but there's always a flip side. I was always aware of pedestals that I that other people wanted me on. Right. That it wasn't my desire. Mm-hmm. And I had to ask that question, why why the heck do you want me on a pedestal? Yeah. Like, I kinda like to just be with you. This sure. is this is my gift. I happen to serve you in this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I don't see that I have to be above you to do that. Mm-hmm. And I realized that for a lot of people, they wanted me on that pedestal. They wanted me to have the stories of you know, I went out and did this with for Jesus. Yeah. Um, in part because if I was different from them, then they would never have to think, oh, oh, I I could do that too. Yeah, right. I mean, there's certain things that I'm gifted to do that maybe they couldn't, but most things not. Yeah. Most things are just living and being present. Yeah. That we all make that choice. And as a pastor, there are certainly ways to not be present just like it was for them, whether it's hiding in an office saying that I need 30 hours a week to write a sermon. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What did you spend that much money on seminary if it takes you 30 hours? Don't take that as a badge of honor. That's for all you pastors out there. I'm calling bullshit on that one. But these are ways that I Hey, they taught us in seminary an hour in the study for every minute in the pulpit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, So... Uh, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent there, but that yeah. one's always annoyed me. Whenever I hear statements like that, mm-hmm. I think, wow. Uh, I mean, that's it's an old story, right? Even mm-hmm. Calvin would have much rather been an ivory tower theologian that was just studying to actually deal with people. Sure. That's the way a lot of pastors feel because it's freaking scary. Yeah. And it's hard and it's messy. But how do we flip the script? Um I think it starts with things like Vern said, that he's just honest with his congregation. Mm -hmm. Just consistently letting them know you're one of them for the congregation to accept that for what it is. Yeah, yeah. And I will say to those that aren't pastors, there is nothing that feels more isolating than when you're trying to be honest and people then take that moment of honesty to build a higher pedestal. (laughs) <laughs> oh, he's really, and he's so <laughs> humble and honest. You're like, you know what? Just <laughs> screw you all. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, if a pastor is willing to be a part of the congregation, mm-hmm. what a strange thought that is for him to be one of the congregation. Then what does that look like for you to be open to let him? Yeah. What would it look like where a pastor could feel just as safe in a Samson group in his own church 
as one in the next town over. Yeah. What yeah. would be required? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is removing that otherness that creates the pedestals to say, I don't think less of you because this is what you're into. Sure. Sure. This is what you struggle with. Yeah. I struggle with that stuff, but I'm not a pastor. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what is it? What comes to your mind when you think of how do we reduce the otherness factor? Yeah. You know, it always, you know, it felt two ways when I was a pastor. I mean, who doesn't like to receive a little uh, honor and recognition? Mm-hmm. But man, it just burned me, just frosted me. Let's go in both directions. It was very uncomfortable to know that anytime I walked into a social gathering, the atmosphere changed the minute I entered the door. Man, you just said that. I'm wondering how that hits the ears of non-pastors because I just got like an uncomfortable feeling <laughs> when you said that because it's a that's a bizarre thing. It is. And uh, vocabularies change, subjects change, uh, the, the way people approach you and speak to you changes. Um, I used to love going to social uh, functions where I was not a pastor, where people didn't, where I was unknown, where I arrived mm-hmm. as a stranger. Cause then I could have real conversations right up until somebody said, and what do you do? Yep. And, and the minute and, I, would and then they disclose, apologize for everything they said before. <laughs> it was, it, you, you could see it in their eyes, like yeah. the closing of an overhead garage door <laughs> and say, Oh my, uh, no, I, I really would just like to be human for a while. And if that sounds a little whiny, uh, I guess people just have to trust that it's a weird experience. Well, here's the thing. We are built for connection. Mm-hmm. And, um, and unfortunately, yeah, this uh, sacred secular divide, this clergy uh, congregant divide, this artificial – this curtain that we have lowered between – uh, some of us and the rest of us uh, makes that connection that's so vital for spiritual vitality uh, impossible. Right. So there has to be opportunities for folks that aren't pastors to enter into the lives of pastors. Right. But the pastor also has responsibility. I immediately thought of a, a doctor friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't even call him a friend because every conversation we had he would turn into giving advice about lifestyle choices, Mm -hmm. medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think I probably did it poorly, but I had good intentions with saying, can we have a conversation where you're not doing that? Yeah. I don't know you. Yeah. So pastors have that responsibility because I can just picture a non-pastor saying like, okay, I'm going to take my pastor out to lunch. Let's just be normal dudes. Yeah. And I can picture pastors who won't feel entirely comfortable and everything would be like, well, hmm, that's, that's very interesting. And it gets very, <laughs> uh, it just becomes like pastor talk. And that's where, <laughs> so it, it, it comes from both directions. Sure. Like there has to be the openness of the people in the pews. Yeah. Um, but do give pastors a little break that they probably haven't experienced that and they don't feel entirely safe. Right. 
uh, and that was discussed a lot and great by Vern. Why don't pastors feel safe? Mm-hmm. There's reasons. Sure. There's real reasons. Yeah. So people have to somehow prove to them that it is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was best done in church by just lowering the bar week after week <laughs> after week. <laughs> <laughs> and you were good at that, man. I, if if I have one skill, it's lowering the bar. <laughs> lowering the bar. <laughs> wow. So the other thing that I wanted to hear your take on, oh, we have a few more minutes, was towards the beginning, Vern was talking about really in that midlife 40-year oh, time yeah. that, he, that he hits this crisis. Yeah. And he even mentioned that his dad had the same thing happen. Yeah. And I'm in that midlife kind of a way. Probably mm-hmm. wasn't smart to change my entire life right in the midlife. <laughs> but <clears throat> what, talk to me about what you think. It's a real thing. It's not a made-up thing. Oh, midlife crisis? Yeah. My gosh, no. Yeah, that's a real deal. What did we do with this? Since it seems like people make idiotic decisions. Well, it seems like I tend to make it more idiotic decisions right. now. yeah. Well, I had a I had a very long couple decade series of idiotic decisions before it all landed on me at age uh, forty two, um, which and I think I've said this on the podcast before. It's just a, amazes me the percentage of guys I talk to who hit the wall with their acting out behavior at the age of forty two. I don't know what is magical about that number, but it's uh, but. Well, if you add four plus two, that's six, and that's the number of man. So, of course, <laughs> numerologically speaking, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Douglas Adams, I guess, was – yeah, anyway, that's a whole different tangent. <laughs> anyway, but if we were to plot the bell curve, there's a lot of momentous change for the better and for the worse that occurs right around that 40-year period, at least for guys. And, uh, you know, I think we can only sustain our own illusions for so long, convincing ourselves that we're happy, uh, convincing ourselves that our success, whatever it is, is substantial and that um, our weaknesses, whatever they are, will soon be overcome or surmounted. We're only able to keep that up for so long. And I think uh, denial wears thin. The patience of those around us wears thin. Um, and, and I think, I think God knows in the same way that I know how to watch a hamburger on the grill and know when to flip it. I think God kind of knows when it's time just to, <laughs> just to turn that sucker, you know, not too soon, not too late. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about an assessment point, obviously that middle of the life. Yeah. What's the rest look like? Um, yeah, that. So what do you do with that? I mean, if you're feeling crazy, yeah. it's interesting if you put the positive spin on it as well because yeah. it's usually the negative. Yeah. You know, people go off the rails because they're thinking, ah, this is all – I thought this would be different by now and it's yeah, not. It's, so right, I need right, to make right. a drastic change. Right. What do you do? How do you not trust that yeah. voice? What number – because obviously I know nothing about numerology <laughs> since six is not the number yeah. of man. But uh, what do you do with it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's – I do think what happens is if I've been really behaving myself and now i got to face my own unhappiness, now it's time to misbehave. Mm. If I've been really misbehaving and I have to face my unhappiness, now it's time to behave. Okay. That's great. That's huh? so true. That's yeah. great. 
um, but I think we're always in danger when we're taking only our own counsel. And all of this occurs between our own two ears. Uh, you know, there's that great saying in 12-step recovery, it's your best thinking that got you to where you are. Right. Right. Um, this is really the time to listen to friends mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and to find friends if we don't have them. And then, you know, let's begin to, uh, to trust the body of Christ to make some quality decisions so that our friends who have a perspective we don't have because they're outside our life can uh, warn us against some of those disastrous. Yeah, I was just going to say, be careful what friends you pick because if they're other middle-aged guys oh, and yeah, your, yeah. your time together is just all bitching about your wife, probably not going to help <laughs> yeah. you move in the right direction. Yeah, true. But, but well, really, yeah, sure, because guys want you to co-sign their bullshit, right? right. Well, let's all leave our wives together, right? <laughs> I haven't heard of that pact, but that sounds like a dangerous group. Uh, yes, finding, I mean, there are guys who have either gone through it and found wisdom or uh-huh. just wise. Yeah. Like to find wise guys instead of wise guys. Yeah. That's really important. It sure is. Yeah, yeah. I love that you're talking about the two different angles that we hit midlife crisis, Mm -hmm. that there's either the victim or the villain going into it. Yeah. But that the response is in some ways the same. I am now unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we find community. Gratitude. You know, when you said both both ways, I found unhappiness. Mm -hmm. In my times of feeling some of this over the last few years. Yeah. Uh I necessarily have to ignore all the versions of life that would be way worse. Yes. Yes. Right, right, exactly. Um and that's a dangerous place now where especially if I'm only listening to my own voice and I begin to focus just on my unhappiness and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh and and suddenly uh, everything that is right falls out of focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can think of a specific night within the last few months where I was just feeling particularly miserable. Mm-hmm. And evening was happening. Jenny was in a good mood. Everybody else wanted to have a nice night. Mm-hmm. And something in me was just going, my life sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, what the, what is wrong with me right now? Mm-hmm. I can't actually point to a single thing wrong that is different than I would want it. Yeah. Yeah. In this moment. Yeah. And yet I have allowed, and I guess that's, oh, I wish I had the quote. Someone sent me a quote recently that said, basically, oh, I shouldn't even be paraphrasing, but it said, your thoughts and your feelings are really just, uh, good things to consider and think through. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm having that thought and that feeling. That's legitimate as far as being a question. It's not something to act on yet. Right, There's nothing right. to it. Right. But it's good for consideration. Right, right. So let's pause and consider yeah. why this feeling. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll try to bring it in for next week. But it was so great because it was so obvious how silly I can be in those moments mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't used this as something to consider. I've used it as an evidence that then justifies wherever my heart is going. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to judge the feeling to just say, great, cool. Let's sit down and talk, you and I. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, gratitude's a big part of that as well. Yeah. Because usually my feelings don't want to talk about those when I'm in that mood. Yeah. What about these things? Hard feeling about my life sucking. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's amazing how much our our frame of mind is influenced, even created, by what we choose to look at. That's why that gratitude list, that daily gratitude list that I was taught to compose uh, early in recovery is just so vital, especially when uh, a lot of life, for whatever reason, does suck. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's hard. It's full of suffering. Yeah. Uh, how did you keep that list fresh? I will admit I have never done a daily gratitude list. Mm-hmm. I've done the daily discipline of trying to, when people ask how I'm doing, yeah, think through what are the things that are beautiful in my life and answer according to that. But sure. I've never done a daily gratitude list, and I feel like after about eh, four to six days, yeah, I'd feel like I'm just writing the same stuff down. Yeah, yeah. Certainly for me, the list, uh, they were – uh, items that appeared on that list every day. But if I'm keeping – what I found was that if I was keeping my eyes open for um, the daily blessings for which I could be grateful because every day is a new day, there were new things to be added to the list. There's another tool that um, my wife and I wanted us to do. We haven't enacted this. We talked about it in November, so that's how long this has been. But there are five-year gratitude journals you can get on Amazon. Really? Yes. They're all floral and look like they only expect women to buy them. Just know that's going to happen. Okay. But it basically says like September 1st for five years. Oh, I see. I see. So then next year when you get to September 1st, it has the last year or the last two years. Ooh, and, and what a great idea. And you're just writing a few sentences. They're, yeah. they're really small, a couple lines. Yeah. But uh, uh, the person that told me about this had that and they had i'd say maybe like 10 to 15 years of those wow and what an encouragement to look back over a few years and go oh yeah that was happening you know we experienced this in our house uh this week Allie uh was cleaning out her office and came across journals from four five six years ago you know and i came home to find her you know she she was in a highly emotional state, mm. right? There was some sadness, but there was a lot of gratitude. It was there were hard memories in there, mm-hmm. but they're in the past. Yeah. At the beginning of at least one of my journals, it says, "Whoever reads this when I'm dead, please note I pretty much only journal when I'm upset about something. My life was good." <laughs> oh, what a great entry! Because if you look, you're like, "Wow, <laughs> this always sucks." <laughs> like, no, no, look, that was like a year between both of these. Uh, there was a lot of days in between that were good. Yeah, uh, yeah. the The other thing that I write in most covers is this is a private journal. If you read this, you're asking for whatever you're about to get. So don't oh, blame me. Okay, there you go. So if you want to be a sneak, it's on you, baby. <laughs> Well, we are out of time, and I know you have a lunch meeting in 10 minutes. I do, and then a recording session. I am recording the audio version of Samson and the Pirate Monks. Finally. Are you all warmed up? Yeah, no, I haven't done any of that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Guys have been asking for a very long time. So, uh, hopefully, within um, six to eight weeks, it will be up on Audible. 
six to eight weeks that fast to yeah. record it, produce it, upload it. Yep. Yep. Wowzers. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you feeling what emotion is attending you as you begin this? Oh, gratitude, actually. Gratitude. Um, yeah, I, I breezed through several pages last night and just had to smile. Yeah. I, I know this story. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it for this week. We'd love to hear from you. You can always reach us, of course, at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. We are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arg. A handsome young seaman lay dying, and as on the foredeck he lay, do around him his comrades come sighing. These last mournful words he did say, wrap me up in my tarpaulin jacket. And say a poor duffer's lay low Send for six all seamen to carry me With steps mournful, solemn and slow Had I the wings of a turtle dove So high on my pinions I'd fly Slap bang to the heart of my molly love And there I would stay till I die Wrap me up in my tarpaulin jacket And say a poor duffer's lay low Send for six solly seamen to carry me, which steps mournful, solemn, and slow.